throughout this series. And we've been looking at loving one another. Dave Luthi opened our series with loving one another. Last week we spoke about spurring one another on, encouraging one another well. And if you've missed either of these messages, you can catch up on them over on our website. All of our sermons for all of our series are very well ordered over at our website and you can access them at any time. Today what we're going to do is we are going to focus on our words. Um, How is it, asking the question, how is it should we actually speak to one another? Um, Or if we flip that on its head, how should we not speak to one another? Uh, Last weekend I was solo parenting and Sheree had taken uh, my daughter and they'd gone away for a bit of a girls weekend so she left my son Matthias and I at home for a bit of a boys weekend I guess you could say. Um, I don't know about other parents but when I'm kind of in this situation I do go into a little bit of survival mode you know. Uh, A part of surviving um, I know I need to make some judgment calls, I need to make some decisions. They're not necessarily all all big decisions, but I have to make decisions nonetheless. You know, um, is it okay for my son and I to eat takeaway for every meal while mum mum and my daughter are away? Um, Can he stay up and watch the entire game of football instead of going to bed at half-time like he normally does on a Friday night? Um, And probably the biggest question of all that I was asking is, how am I actually going to thrive and not just survive while my wife and my daughter are away? Uh, jokes aside, when it comes to our everyday lives, we make judgments, we make decisions. What is a judgment? Well, judgment is forming an opinion or a conclusion about someone or something. And in order to actually come to or arrive at a decision, we need to make judgments. We need to be able to form an opinion, come to a conclusion, and then make a decision. You know, do I have my third cup of coffee before 9am? Hmm, good question. Do I put my foot on the accelerator and get through that roundabout before the slow car, or do I wait? Uh, Do I watch that TV series that everyone's talking about? Do I go to that event on Saturday night? Can I complete the work that's been assigned to me or do I need to ask for help or for more time? Um, These are all sorts of judgments that we make about things in our lives, different things, different situations. But we also make judgments about people. Judging people happens at many different levels and it happens in many different ways. Um, Take the singing competition, The Voice or Australian, Australian Idol, for example. Um, They have the panel of celebrity judges. These judges are so-called experts in their field of singing and they judge a a big amount of contestants and they whittle that field down based on their ability to sing. I'm sure we've all seen it. And then, but they're not the only ones who judge. Then once the field gets whittled down, then they open up to the Australian public and everyone gets their say. Everyone gets to weigh in and make a decision as to who the best singers are. Uh, Speaking about casting a vote, we are a democracy and as a democratic nation, we get a choice in terms of who the people and the parties are that are going to govern our country. And when it comes to election time, we know some of the people who who make judgment calls and uh, make judgments against other people the most are are politicians. They they like to talk about how opposition parties have things all wrong and how they have things all right, right? At a personal level, um, at home and around the house, I often catch myself uh, being critical um, about something maybe that my wife Cherie has said or done. 
Uh, maybe she didn't do something the way I liked it done. Uh, maybe it's something she said that I don't necessarily agree with. And sometimes that criticism that I have is voiced out loud and, 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 I, and I direct it, I guess, towards her. But other times I keep that inside. Other times it kind of sits there and I grumble and complain internally. And sometimes that stews within me to the point where it then affects how I interact with her. You see, making judgments that lead to making decisions in our lives is a a part of of our lives. But the problem is that we're not the best judges, are we? Uh, We often judge inappropriately, I would go as far to say. And as a part of judging inappropriately, I think one way that we do this is when we speak critically of other people, when we grumble when we complain or criticise others. And today, as we focus on how we should be speaking to one another, we are turning to the book of James in God's Word. Um, We're going to read this morning from James chapter 4, and we've got two verses that we're going to focus on, verse 11 and 12. So, let's read this passage together. James chapter 4, 11 and 12. It says, don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticise and judge each other, then you're criticising and judging God's law. But your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. God alone who gave the law is the judge. He alone has the power to save or destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbour. Um, at the time of this, th- this letter was written by James, the early church was under all sorts of different pressures. They had these external pressures that were happening. Um, part of it was from the Roman Empire, um, they came from the outside of the church, minority groups was another thing. Um, there was a bunch of cultural standards that were part of that pressure and rules about what was socially acceptable these kind of things. But as well as the external pressures, there were internal pressures within the church at the time as well. And throughout this letter, James has been warning the wider church about a whole range of things. If we backtrack a couple of chapters, he's spoken about trials, he's spoken about temptations for the church, he's spoken about listening and doing and uh, not showing favouritism and not boasting and taming our tongue. These are some of the things he's been speaking about already and here, in these two verses, he offers yet another warning to the church at the time and he does this because he's addressing part of a bigger problem here, James, and that issue was conflict that was happening within the church community, internal conflict. Part of the conflict that was happening was people were doing what James is speaking about here. People were speaking evil or slandering or criticising other Christians at the time. They were speaking poorly towards each other, but James doesn't even use that word. He says, he goes one step further, it's not just poor speech, it's actually evil speech, it's negative speech, it's speech that is against other people and he warns against doing this particular thing. Notice he doesn't focus on the positive, let's speak well about each other, no, he goes straight to the point, he addresses the issue here, he says, don't do this, don't speak evil among each other. And why should we not do this? Now James gives us a, an if-then statement 
as his answer. He says, if you criticise and judge each other, then the result of this happening is that you're judging God's law. He's basically saying, if you're going to criticise someone, you are the one who is setting yourself up as judge over that person. And by making yourself judge, you're actually breaking the law that you're claiming to uphold because you are putting yourself, in essence, above the law. You're separating yourself from the grip of the law itself. You're without fault, essentially, is what James is saying you're doing when you're judging in this way. When it comes to the law, James says our job is to obey the law. It's not to judge what it, whatever, uh, whether it happens, or sorry, whether it applies to you. Um, I was never on my debating team at high school, but I had some friends who were. I often sat in on debates. Um, we, we would debate over various different topics. It's topics like, you know, students should be allowed to wear, I show students should be required to wear school uniforms or um, whether students who fail a test should be given another chance to take it again. They were okay topics. The ones that I was really interested in uh, were topics like whether the school day should be actually a shorter day, and, uh, and as well as that, whether, whether teachers should be replaced by computers. Um, but, but that aside, um, as a part of a healthy debate that would happen, each side presents a case. They, they would give their points for and against a topic, and you would focus on the issue or the question or the debate topic as you went along. And in focusing on the issue, you'd be able to argue and debate back and forth without making this debate become any sort of personal attack on the people debating against you. In our, in our society today, people place a high priority on our feelings. Um, our culture says today, the way that we feel, it's actually critical to our existence. That's what our culture says. And society says, we actually need to go one step further. The way we feel is one thing, but we need to trust those feelings that we have, trust the way that we feel inside, because it's actually those feelings that determine who we are. This is what society says. And so when it comes to speaking about different perspectives and having different opinions and on different things, personal feelings actually do come into play. In 2023, our culture has taken this idea of having an honest and healthy discussion and debate on topics to actually infer or mean at times, direct opposition of people standing directly opposing your viewpoint. And so if you hold a differing perspective to someone else, then the implication actually is that you are directly attacking that person or that person's point of view. And now I mention this for us because as Christians for us, when it comes to our words, this societal shift in our thinking it's actually important for us to keep in mind. Um, it will have an effect on the way that we speak, just as the different cultural norms did for the first century Jewish Christians. Now, I'm not saying that we need to change or should change our stance or our position on th certain things and beliefs that we have. That is not what I'm saying. But what I really want to highlight here is the reality that our words have power. They are powerful things powerful when they come out of our mouth in the sense that they have a real effect on the people around us. Um, you could say one negative word, and for you, it's a completely minor thing. But for someone else who hears that exact word, 
it might be a complete major thing. It might be something that is really a different story. And James is saying to the church, when we speak against each other, when we slander, when we criticise, when we moan and grumble, we're not being loving. We're actually being judging. And we know from our first week in our One Another series that we should love one another. Jesus says this is the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God and love your neighbour as yourself. And, be- and that's because we have this agape love, this unconditional love without any prerequisites or conditions that God gives to every single one of us. And James here is telling his readers as the church, hey guys, listen up, we need to actually start speaking with love towards each other. Because ultimately, we're not the judges. Chapter 4, verse 12, God alone who gave the law is the judge. He alone has the power to save or destroy. And so what right do you have to judge your neighbour? James 5, verse 9, don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or, here's the result of that grumbling, you will be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. Remember, James here is, is addressing this community conflict. He's concerned about the unity and the harmony of the church, the, the internal church here when he's writing this. And here he says, God is the one who's given the law, he's the one who's the judge, and he's the one who ultimately will judge and make decisions over all things. He has the power to both save and to destroy. A judge in a court of law that rules over or presides over a court of law, they have the power to judge someone, but they only have the ability to judge someone according to the specific details of the offence that has been charged against them. But James here, he's saying God will ultimately decide all things. He is in complete sovereign control over all of His creation. But when we, when we say that, let's not forget our God's a fair and a just God, isn't He? He is just. And James finishes this verse by asking this question. He says, so what right do you have to judge your neighbour? You see, when it comes to criticising and grumbling and complaining, and making judgments, when it comes to our words, we're better off not saying anything. James says, complaining produces judgment, which produces guilt, And that guilt is what God will deal with because He alone is the judge and the day of judgment is coming. Chapter 5, verse 9, at the end of that uh, verse, it says, look, the judge is standing at the door. So the day is coming when Jesus will return one day and He will judge fairly and justly according to His perfect law. And this is a warning Jesus is standing at the door. It's a reminder for us. It's a a checkpoint, if you will, um, an opportunity for us to examine our behaviour, to to look internally at ourselves, um, so that when the great judge arrives, Jesus, that we are prepared for that door, that so-called door to be opened, and for His blessing and His judgment. But, you know, the incredible thing is that we're covered by the grace of our God. His unmerited gift of forgiveness and salvation in our lives, it's only found through Jesus. And now that doesn't mean that we should disregard the law or throw it away and go about doing whatever we like, but it does mean that for those of us who might feel guilt or shame about what we've done or what our past has looked like, 
The truth is that that does not determine who we are right now. His grace is sufficient for us. It covers us completely. And that's the good news of Jesus and what He's done for every single one of us when He died on the cross, that He became the sacrifice for us. And even though God is judge and He will have the ultimate say over all things, He actually gives us responsibility to judge at times. Galatians 6.1, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation. Matthew 18.15, If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out that offence. But if, but if the other person listens and confesses it, you have won the person back. But if you're unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again, so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church, and then he or she won't, and if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector." God gives us the responsibility to judge. He gives us this responsibility to discern. But notice that it's not for our benefit that we get to judge. It's not for our benefit. It's for the benefit of others. And we do this as His representatives, as representatives of our God, acting in His interests, His best interests, not in our interests or the interests of others. One final thing to say about this particular point is that we actually really need to be exceptionally careful, I think, when it comes to sensing this responsibility to make judgment, and we also need to be sensitive about how we do this. Exercise restraint, think about how we do this in love. Okay, so what do we take from these couple of verses today? I think the simple and obvious warning is a pretty clear one for all of us, that when it comes to speaking, when it comes to our words, they're powerful and so we should not, as, the, as Christ's bride, as the church, we should not be speaking our words against one another. Now, that is so much easier to say than to do, am I not right? It's so much easier to say. So, I just want to give you a couple of things just to consider, some practical considerations when it comes to our words towards other people. Number one, bite your tongue. (laughs) If you're a verbal processing person, this is really hard to do, right? Because something happens or someone says something and all you want to do is start talking about it talk about it, get it out there, speak about the thing. Um, But holding our tongue, stopping, pausing, not saying anything for that first second is actually a pretty powerful thing if we can master the control of that. James has already been talking about taming the tongue and I think this is really links in well with what he's been saying in chapter 3 about that. Give yourself some time before you say what you think you're going to say. Sometimes, in the heat of the moment, we all know we can say things that we really don't mean in our heart of hearts. Number two, ask questions. Ask yourself questions of the person and the situation that they find themselves in. If, you are in, if you've got a little bit of a sense that you're grumbling or moaning or you're about to criticise or make a judgement, try and put yourself in someone else's shoes. If something's happened, um, try to think of the reasons that it might have happened from their own perspective. Seek to understand before you speak. 
Uh, number three, talk to the person. Uh, when I worked in a small wholesale business, from time to time we've had, we'd have customers who were complaining about all sorts of different things. And sometimes it would get really heated and hostile to the point where um, you could really sense, okay, there's, this person's boiling over here. 99.9% um, .9 of the time, that problem or that issue could be solved by talking to the person, picking up the phone, talking through and, and having an opportunity to discuss, not texting, but actually talking uh, to the other person. And look, I know this is not the easiest thing to do, especially when it comes to something that potentially has conflict in our lives. But talking things out can have a really great effect for us. Point number four, take out your log. Luke 6.42. This is all I need to read right here. How can you think of saying, friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, get rid of that log that's in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. You know, the things that we see and that we experience, they actually affect the way that we see and experience other people's issues and other people's situations in our lives. And this is a really great reminder, we need to make sure we don't have a log blocking our view when we're making a call about someone else. Point number five, seek forgiveness. For some of us, this will be the most difficult thing to do when it comes to our words. But if you've spoken out against someone else directly, there's probably a good chance that it's caused hurt. If you've judged someone else, there's, there's probably some pain that exists, some resistance there, maybe even some, some hostility. But just as our God has forgiven us, the reminder is that we too should seek forgiveness from others when we seek and when we speak against them. And if you are on the other side of this picture, if you're someone who's had words directed at you over time, if you've received uh, hurtful words, words that have, have crushed, that were being divisive and critical, I think the same thing applies here. As hard as it is, just as God has forgiven us, we too should forgive others. We should seek to live together as His children in this peace and this harmony and this unity that James is calling this, the early church to. That should be our goal. This is a strong warning that James has here for us, but he does this with God's interests at His absolute core. And so, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you call yourself a Christian, then the reality is that God wants you and I to be united people, people who stand together. And God wants his bride, which is us, his church, to live in that harmony with each other, together with each other. And, and to do that, we cannot be people who complain about others. We cannot be that. We can't be people who criticize or grumble about things or make moaning and complaints. We are called to people, be people who love one another, who are for one another, people who spur one another on people who encourage one another, people who do not speak against one another. When we do this, we are examples, living examples of Jesus in our community. Other people notice, uh, and we want other people, don't we, to come to know and to share and experience the freedom and the life and the hope that only Jesus 
can bring and give. We want that. I want to invite the worship team to come on back up. And as they come up, uh, what we're going to do now is we're going to enter into a time of communion together. Um, You should have received a communion element on the way in. If you didn't, please put your hand up and we'll have someone who will come around and get you an element. Um, And yes, while uh, that is happening as well, if you want to, uh, let's just peel back the foil and get ready. We're going to take this together. So just peel back the foil for your elements. One Corinthians eleven, it says this. Just in this moment, it says, "So anyone who eats this bread, or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily, is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord." That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honouring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. So right now, let's just take a moment as we come before the Lord's table, just to examine ourselves, just in this moment. Let the Holy Spirit, right now, search your heart for anything that hasn't been of God. Allow Him to search you for any words, words that maybe you've spoken against others. And just now take some time to confess those things. Bring them before God right now. As we come around the Lord's table, we are reminded of the greatest sacrifice that was ever made for you and I. Jesus, the spotless Lamb of God, His only Son, willingly who went to the cross and died there for us that we would be able to be made right with Him through His death and through His resurrection that everyone who believes in Jesus and puts, his, puts their faith in Him will not perish, but will have life that is everlasting with our Saviour. And on the night when He was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and He gave thanks to God for it and He broke it in pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the wafer and eat together. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is my new covenant between God and his people an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. Let's take the juice and let's drink this together.
Oh, Lord, we thank you, Jesus. We thank you for your sacrifice. We remember it this morning. We thank you for that act being the greatest act for us. Lord, our words, they have power. They're able to unite or divide. Lord, would we be people? I pray that we would be people who don't speak against each other. Lord, would we be people who speak for one another, that we would be a beautiful example of your church when we stand united as we seek to speak well of each other. Lord, we pray that others would notice this in our community. And Lord, I pray right now for anyone who has a sense just of needing to ask for forgiveness from someone else or to offer forgiveness and forgive someone else. Lord, would you be the one who leads them? Would you be the one who is with them in that process, which won't necessarily always be easy? Lord, we thank you for the healing that does come when we seek forgiveness. The true healing and restoration. Right now, I ask, would you, Lord, continue to transform us, transform our hearts, transform our minds, transform our bodies, Lord, transform our tongues by the power of your Holy Spirit that is living within us, great God that our words would be words of love and peace and grace. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.